What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income now? If you're wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, if you want a comfortable retirement and you know you'll have more choices if you can do more with your money now, if you've wondered who else is creating ways to make their money work for them and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. All right, everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Richard Geek Podcast. Today, we have Brett Schwartz. He's considered one of the most well-rounded capital gained tax deferral experts and informative speakers in the U.S. He's founder of Capital Gains Tax Solutions. He's an exclusive deferred sales trust trustee, host of the Capital Gains Tax Solutions podcast, and experienced commercial multifamily broker in California and St. Augustine, Florida. How's it going, Brett? Hey, Mike. It's great. To, it's going really well, and it's great to be on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to talk a little bit about your experience and uh, specifically some deferred sales trusts, Delaware statutory trusts, 1031s, uh, the differences, what they can do for you, and uh, some of the benefits. Um, so how did you get involved in this? You know, I uh, started out at a young age, uh, learning about real estate and helping my clients uh, or helping my parents at that point build houses in the Bay Area. Uh, Silicon Valley. This is a uh, called the '80s days, or MC Hammer Pants and you know Bobcats and hammering nails. And so I fell in love with real estate at a young age, and then went on to um, to go to college. My brother and I were the first graduate college from both sides of our family. My dad said, "Mom said you're not going to be working, uh, you know, building houses. We'd like you to you know, do something more." Um, and so he said, "Okay, cool. What can we do?" And he said, "Well, go to college." And so as a part of that, we studied and practiced um, at a multifamily brokerage called Marcus and Millichap. Mm -hmm. And that's where we learned about multifamily investments and 1031 exchanges. We also learned about the tough things about 1031s when the market crashed in 08. So we saw friends, family, and clients lose half or everything in the crash. And we thought, wow, there's got to be a better way. And at this point, I'm in Sacramento, you know, helping people with multifamily brokerage. So um, as a part of that journey, um, you know, I, I found myself also in a place with my wife and I, a new baby, um, and the first time in my life, you know, like not having any money, really. I mean, just kind of going, kind of like not doing any deals and things are really, you know, slow slowing down. So I did whatever good. I think entrepreneur real estate wannabe does. You get a side hustle. My side hustle was a place called Cheesecake Factory. And so I had, by nights and nights and weekends, I'd work at Cheesecake Factory by day and negotiate with banks and help my clients, you know, reposition their properties or, you know, figure out ways to get tenants to pay and, and, uh, you know, help them reassess their taxes with their tax assessor and stuff, all this stuff. And, and, uh, and during this time as well, when I was going through this financial pain and they're going through their financial pain, we basically resolved to figure out a way to solve this that never happens again. And that's when we learned about the deferred sales trust where I learned about it. And that it was in 2009. And like most people are hearing about this thing for the first time, they, you know, we thought we would, we were the Navy SEALs. We would have known about it. But we didn't know about it. And fast forward. Now I just coach and train and teach people. I was able to retire from the cheesecake factory. My wife and I have five kids. We just moved from California to St. Augustine, Florida, and we just really help clients across the country exit in a way that defers the tax and helps them get a lot of freedom. 
So let's uh, back up a little bit. Some of our listeners may have, okay, I've kind of heard about a 1031. What, let's talk, have you talk a little bit about what that deferred tax does. When does it help? When does it come in play? Just to kind of give a background of, of the beginnings, of what we're getting, we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So I think the first thing is defining the problem. That we all have, right? The government has a spending problem, which means you, me, Mike, and the listeners have a tax problem. And that tax problem, especially on exits of assets that are highly appreciated, is somewhere between 25% minimum of the gain up to you know 50, 60, 70%, depending if you have a C Corp. And so I'll just give you a couple of deals that we've done recently. We helped a, a client who exited a, a $13 million um, car wash in San Diego. Um, and as a part of that sale, they had about a 40% tax on the gain. Their gain was 13 minus 4 million, 4 million being their basis. So they had, you know, millions of dollars of tax. Mm -hmm. And so enter, you know, what are their options? Well, they can, um, you know, sell and just pay the tax or they can defer the tax using a strategy like a 1031 exchange or a deferred sales trust. By the way, not to be confused with the Delaware 1031, which people get confused with all the time, Delaware Statutory Trust. And essentially when they defer this tax, they can build more wealth with the, with the asset. They can probably increase their cash flow. They can diversify their wealth. They don't have to do like kind of replacement requirements, but essentially just have more money to build more wealth with. And the government likes it because guess what? They're, they're, in, they're incentivizing us as sellers to sell and reinvest the proceeds. As long as it goes into business or investments, it actually spurs economic growth. And so they're actually the biggest winners there. New property tax for the California asset. Um, and there's new money moving and creating more, more jobs, ideally, which then creates more you know tax revenue. And so- it's a good way for everyone to um, to keep keep the economy moving. That's why the 1031 is a really good thing. Uh, the deferred sales trust, we like to say it's like Netflix versus the 1031 blockbuster uh, once you understand what it can do and how it can help people with their with their freedoms that they desire. Okay, so let's walk through a scenario. Um, I saw one of my hotels. Or I'm getting ready to sell it, I should say, because now I'm at the beginning process. It could take four or five months as larger multifamilies do, hotels, bigger businesses, because there's a lot of due diligence. At what point do I put it into a deferred trust or is it already in it? Um, or do I do this when I'm getting ready to sell it? Yeah, what's the timing of all this and how, how does it all get set up? First thing is we work on a conditional basis. So Mike, you, we, we want you to set it up and get it prepared and all ready to go prior to closing. But if you don't want to use the trust, you don't have to, you don't owe us anything. So that's the first thing to understand. We take all the pressure off, um, but it's important that we do actually establish the trust um, sometime during escrow, unless you're doing a 1031, and then we can save a failing 1031 without having to, uh, to identify a property. But I'd say step one, Mike, we would just sit down with you, we'd assess, hey, what's your adjusted basis? What's your debt? And what's your current you know, estimated sales price? Um, and then what's the timing of the sale? Once we have those those kind of those four fact patterns, um, um, then we can start to build out an exit plan for you. And by the way, sometimes it involves a partial 1031 exchange. We just help a seller in Texas sell his you know his ranch, and then he he, he did a partial 1031 into an Oklahoma property, and then a South Carolina property, and then they, he did the rest of it into the deferred sales trust. And so, um, clarifying what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go. Will determine the exact timing, but if you're selling anything other than investment real estate, you need to have it before the close of escrow. You need to have the trust in place before the buyer removes all contingencies. 
Mm-hmm. So we simply form a trust and could take a couple of days to do that. Um, we insert the, the the language into the contract. It gives you the option to do to, to, to exercise this. Um, and depending if you have an LLC, S Corp, C Corp, depending if you have partners, each partner might have their own trust set up. In fact, the deal we did in San Diego, it was a four-partner deal where three of the partners did their own DST, and then one of them just paid their tax. So um, we can we can we can sever the partnership. Um, as you quickly can figure out, or if you're listening, it's not like setting up like a living trust one time and just set it and forget it. And it's simple. It's actually more a bit more complex because it is a trust that you are uh, selling the asset to and you're getting a promissory note back. In other words, you're doing an installment sale with a trust um, rather than doing an installment sale with the buyer, which um, which is important to understand because A, it shows you the legality of this, that it works and there's a structure that's behind a tax code. But B, it gives you the flexibility that we as entrepreneurs that are buying hotels or building hotels or investing into properties or businesses want. And that's that's where the deferred sales trust kind of really shines. Now, how does it work if the property is already in a trust? Well, it's there's an LLC. Mm-hmm. That LLC's holding company. That holding company is owned by maybe an FLP, Family Limited Partnership, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. That is then owned by like a bridge trust. Yeah. You know, and these people have, you know, talk to the attorneys and the attorneys set them up all clear up down the path. How does that work? How does that fit into people that already have partnerships or trusts? Yeah. Good question. And and I guess another way to ask it too, is there anything that deferred sales trust doesn't work for any entity or any, 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 any asset? So first of all, the trust works for any asset of any kind. It could be public or private stock. It could be cryptocurrency. It could be a business sale. It could be S Corp, C Corp, LLC. It could be, um, you know, uh, a partnership deal. Of course, it can be commercial real estate. It can be a primary home. The 1031 only works for investment property. So we work for all assets of all kinds. Now, and for your particular question, what you're referring to is, well, what if it has like a living trust or something else? Um, That's fine. You know, the actual asset itself is probably in an LLC, like you said. And, and essentially what we can do is we can assign the interest of the LLC to the deferred sales trust in exchange for you getting a promissory note. Now that promissory note can be, is the asset that you now own. And that can be put inside and be like your living trust, right? To pass to your kids. And these trusts can go on for as long as you want and they can pass on to your kids and your kids can pass them on to their kids and can go on for, you know, a long time. So and we do them in 10-year increments. And uh, typically a balloon payment due at 10 years. Their trusts are typically 6 to 9% return, net of recurring fees, um, <laughs> depending on your risk tolerance. Um, and But every 10 years, you can renew for 10 years. And, and then it's also a great way to do some estate planning and some asset protection that's seamless and passes to kids in a, in a very... Um, you know, uh, you know, non, let's say having the kids having to fight over the assets when mom and dad die, which is, which is a big thing, you know, parents want, you know, peace in the family and they don't want to have the kids having to squabble over that. And so with the deferred sales trust, you can exit also multiple assets. You could have, you know, you know, $5 million business asset and a $5 million commercial real estate and a $5 million primary home. You have three promissory notes in that scenario, one trust, and each promissory note is set to pay you back over time. It's kind of like an IRA. It's kind of like a 401k in that uh, that, that regards as well. You're basically deferring or delaying the tax, delaying the income, delaying the capital gains tax, and you're receiving payments over time. You'll pay taxes, you receive payments. Most of our clients, Mike, will just live off the interest payments. 
you know, the note might be written for 8%. They might live off four to five and keep a little cushion between the principal, call that the golden goose and the, in the golden eggs or the interest that it's earning. But in this scenario, let's say it was a $3 million asset sale. Well, there's an extra million working for you. And they go, wow, well, well, that's a heck of a deal. Yeah, the government essentially, depending on the size of the deal, it doesn't charge you any interest on that million that you owe them in tax, as long as it's in, you know, it's, it's in a deferral state like an IRA or a 401k or like a 1031 or like a deferred sales trust. And that's the beauty. You get the full amount of $3 million working for you. And then you'll live off the interest. You'll get a 1099 for that. If you dip into the $3 million, you know, of principal, you'll pay some cap gains tax. Um, but most of our entrepreneurial business clients are reinvesting the funds back into their own, their own deals, their own development hotel deals, their own Airbnb, their own new tech companies. We had a client who exited 5 million of Bitcoin that she had bought for 50,000 went to 50 million for her. She wanted to do a tech startup company. So four of the 5 million went to uh, the startup capital for a, for an online education, um, kind of like a Khan Academy to be a blessing and help people with education across the, across the world. And so that was her dream rather than just, uh, you know, working for the big, big tech company. And so each, each of our clients have their unique impact they want to make and their unique freedoms that they want to unlock. And we're here just to kind of guide that in a really tax efficient way. So let me get this straight with, I make $10 million off a sale of a hotel and would it be then better? I have a couple of different scenarios. If I still want to buy another one, get something bigger, maybe a 1031, uh, or could I still do the deferred sales trust and keep it in there? Now I don't have my um, the pressure to, to find something because let's say something's not on the market, inflation's high, and it's like, man, I don't want to buy it because I don't want to pay the interest rates or things like that. I can put it in the deferred sales trust. And yeah, then maybe right, a Mike. year, right? Then maybe a year later, I'm like, going, okay, cool heads are in Washington. Now I want to go buy something, and then I can then switch. You nailed it, Mike. And that's the single reason I started the company, okay? And I call it optimal timing. You know, Mike, our parents taught us to sell high and buy low, not sell high and overpay in a 1031 marketplace where sellers aren't necessarily adjusting their prices and interest rates have jumped to 100% basically in the past year. Um, that creates what we call the 2000, part of the 2008 crash for those who lost in commercial real estate because they had too much debt, not enough liquidity, and they overpay, overpaid in 04 and 05 and 06, and they kept 1031-ing. And then the music stopped and they got hurt. Now, do we think that 08 is happening again for commercial real estate? Well, if you're in the office sector, probably or maybe worse, right? Um, you know, uh, do we think other assets are going to fare, you know, pretty good? Well, if you have some rate caps that are expiring or, you know, your debt is, you're over leveraged, then you can still be in trouble too. So, so, so first of all, we're going to define what your challenge is, Mike, and what you're trying to do. And then we're going to be strategic about it. We're going to look at not only your cash flow situation, but we're going to look at your tax flow situation, including your depreciation schedules. Uh, one of the advantages of the deferred sales trust is a brand new depreciation schedule. So even if you want to do that 1031 on a $10 million exit, if you have a zero depreciation schedule, you do a 1031, guess what? Your old depreciation schedule travels. We call that blockbuster exit planning, right? Well, what about Netflix? What's Netflix? Well, that's the deferred sales trust. We can buy that same asset. We're going to ask you, Mike, to slow down a little bit. We're going to set up the trust. We're going to exit into the trust. And the trust is going to partner with you to buy that same asset. It might take an extra month to get everything in, in order, right? Or a couple of weeks, whatever. But 
now you have a new depreciation schedule on that same asset you bought. Now, the way we structure, you're going to get about 80% of that fresh depreciation schedule because we, we got to keep some um, some guidelines and some guardrails here. But but better than that, we might ask Mike to sit in T-bills for 4 to 5% for, for a year. Because guess what, Mike? We think market the marketplace, there's been a lot of people swimming, like, like Warren Buffett says, and they've been skinny dipping, right? And we're going to see when the tide comes back out and you're going to buy deals instead of buying a $15 million asset, maybe you buy it for 12 because you wait at 12 months, right? And the trust can partner with you at optimal timing and buy that asset all tax deferred, not using a 1031. And at this point, I'm at Marcus and Milchap and my brain explodes and I'm going, what are you talking about? Like the, we would have all known this. We thought we were the Navy SEALs of, of, of investment real estate, 1031s and tax deferral and commercial real estate wealth. But we learned something new, right? And that began the journey. And I hope people are getting this getting this point that just because you know your CPA hasn't heard about it or your commercial broker's not telling you about it, by the way, ask about it, right? They may or may not know about it or they get it confused with the Delaware Statutory Trust. Um, this is the battle we're in. At some point, people didn't know about the 1031 25 years ago, and now they know it. Just quickly on the on the track record, there's been thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of closes with the Deferred Sales Trust, close to 30 years. Um, there's also been some audits, which is important. You want to make sure whatever structure you're working with that has been audited, okay, state and federal. Um, most, most of the uh, uh, state ones have been in California, by the way. Now, these are all no change audits, no findings. So it's batting a thousand so far. There's also lifetime audit defense provided with the DST. But more than that, there's been, you know, tech entrepreneurs, you know, cryptocurrency, commercial real estate, you know, business owners, optometrists, veterinarians, car dealerships, you name it. It's been sold and used with the deferred sales trust. And, um, but yeah, people don't know about it. And, and part of it is some of them, you know, the 1031 companies don't want you to know about it. Sometimes it's just, it's, it's, it's proprietary and it's protected. We protect the strategy. Um, but sometimes it just takes the need being strong enough to get out of the old dog, new, you know, old dog, just doing the 1031s. And by the way, I love 1031s. And if you were to find a deal that made sense for you in 1031, Mike, I'd tell you to do it. It's going to be cheaper, right? Uh, you already know it. You're going to maintain a hundred percent unilateral, complete control, Right. Um, you're going to maintain the stepped up basis. Like I'm going to, I'm going to tell you to do all those things, right. If that all fits, but if you're saying, Brett, the deal doesn't necessarily make sense. I don't mind giving up some control because you have to give up some control with the DST. Um, but I also want to get optimal timing and I want some freedoms that the DST can provide for me. Um, wow. You know, then let's, let's work together. So those, that's hopefully that's a good overview, Mike. Yeah. Well, it's, it's wonderful. It's what kind of, because I'm giving up some some of the trust some some part of the uh, the control what are one of the things that pops in my mind is what kind of recourse uh, you know if if the trustee happens to go to the caribbean or just or fold or you know any of those type of things are there any protections for me as the uh, the exchange yeah, good question. By the way, for those who don't know, um, or he mentioned in the in the in the beginning, a capital gains tax solutions is a trustee from the deferred sales trust, right? So, so we would work as that trustee. So first, is like, how can you know you can trust the trustee? that's not going to take all the money to the Caribbeans, right, and live off all my millions. Number one, we have a lot of controls and protections in place. Um, by the way, if you've done ten thirty one exchanges, you work with third party QI companies. Right or escrow companies, groups that you know hold the cash and have controls and protections in place. So same thing here. We actually work with some of the largest banks in the world. So TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab. We work a lot with Raymond James, um, and we work with third-party financial advisors. Right. So not only is it a third-party trustee, there's a third-party financial advisor 
that are on this DST team that help keep the control and the protections in place for how the funds are invested and how they're managed. But a lot of our clients that are entrepreneurs, perhaps like you, Mike, they're actually doing the joint venture partnership with the trust where they're opening in the bank accounts, right? And they're running the deals and they're filing the tax returns, right? For the LLC. And, and the majority of the capital is they're running and we're calling them and saying, Hey, making sure that it's invested in for businesses. And it's, and it's, you know, it's invest, it's not, you know, on their primary home or their second vacation home or their cars, it's legitimately in investments. And so um, it's all of us as a team. Um, that being said, these trusts are single entity trusts. They only do business. Well, like, Mike, if you were married and you know you do it with you and your wife, right? Um, they never commingled in personal or other business accounts. They have their own separate EIN, its own separate um, tax return that's filed with a third party tax preparer. And so we like to say it's the most vetted, uh, you know, least known tax strategy that's out there. And I would argue there's actually more protection because there's more eyes and ears that are looking and seeing this trust from the tax attorney who sets it up, from the third-party tax preparer, from the third-party banks, third-party financial advisor, third-party trustees, all of us together are working to make this thing work, right? Um, nothing moves without your approval or your signature. You also have 24-7 access to view the funds. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's how this works. Hopefully that brings you some some ease, Mike. And by the way, if I get hit by the bus, another trustee, right? Is, you know, that the tax attorneys would have approved um, can step in. Um, that's how that would work. Yeah, that that's fascinating. How all of a sudden, you know, I was thinking it's like because I I know the ten thirty ones. You have the trustee. I can't touch it. Da da da. You know the whole thing. But I never considered them as like a partner. They're just kind of like a holding account. But you guys are saying that as trustees, you can actually work with us and partner with us. Kind of take some of the burden off of us and help us along the way. I mean, that's one hundred percent. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head right there. Right. The, the commodity is a 1031, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to get their 1500 bucks or whatever, right? And you're going to be there for 45 to 180. They'll get their interest on the money. And and, and they're just there to just to be, there's 5,000 QI companies. And I don't mean to say that in a bad way. I love the QI companies, but there's a lot of people that know how to do that. And it's just tried and true. Beautiful, right? Us, it's really like a, a partnership or like a family office type of environment where we're bringing in the best of the best commercial real estate operators, syndicators, right. And developers, brokers, um, and, um, and, and financial advisors and CPAs. Um, we, we just came up with a, with a book with Kevin Harrington from shark tank, or if you've ever seen that show. And, um, and, uh, and then we, we, we partner and connect with, with amazing operators that are in hotels like you, Mike, and different things. And so it's all of us working together to choosing the strategy to unlock it. And you're right. We, we have a vested interest. The higher the AUM, the more we get paid because we get recurring fees on the AUM. That's how our model here, how we get paid and we want them to succeed. We also want to keep our clients really happy. We're a friendly trustee. We want to give you as much opportunity to build wealth with it um, so that you send your friends and, and you, you stay, you stay in it for a very long time. Do you think that that is a way for someone that, as you know, for all of you that are out there that are thinking about selling an asset, when I decide to get back into the game, is this a benefit for me to find higher net worth investors because I'm we're not working with you? Yeah, great question. So if you're a commercial broker, financial advisor, if you're a luxury realtor, if you're a commercial estate syndicator or someone who's raising capital, really even myself as a trustee, I'm also a multifamily broker and investor. 
we're actually not in the business, Mike, of of anything that we've been talking about for the last you know twenty <laughs> minutes. We're actually all in the same business, and it's the business of solving problems. And to the extent that we can solve problems and give people a clear vision to help them get the freedoms that they desire, we all win. We get paid for that. We get paid for bringing value to the marketplace. In this scenario, I happen to bring a unique skill set, tax deferral, and building wealth and working well with others to the marketplace. And people raise their hand and say, I have a problem. Can you help solve that? And so what's the challenge for the luxury realtor out there? Well, they can't sell the house that's worth 25 million because Mr. and Mrs. Smith owe about 7 million of tax. And they'd rather just, you know, instead of paying 7 million of tax, they might just hold onto the property in the next 20 years, die and give it to the kids for the stepped up basis or enter the deferred sales trust. They can sell that asset, defer that tax. And guess what? Create a cash flow because some of our clients are real estate rich and maybe cash flow light, right? We had a client who sold a primary home in Palo Alto for $8 million and moved to Nevada and established residency there, moved close to family. He couldn't have sold out the deferred sales trust. It would have just taxed and the deal would have fell apart because he had no money left, but we got to defer the tax. He gets to live off of it. We have other clients that, um, you know, we had a client who sold a dental practice in New Jersey. It's a $2 million dental practice. They're about to pay about 45% of tax. And he's like, Brett, this is my entire retirement. I, I, you know, I've worked for 35 years. You're giving me back time, money in my pocket every single month. Like this is, this is such a blessing to our family and I can pass it on to my kids. And so, so the big, the big picture is, is like, what freedoms do they want? And so back to your, to your original question, when you can solve that problem or present an idea that solves the problem, guess what? Not only do they have extra capital to invest with you, right? They're more likely to invest with you. Because you didn't just talk about cash flow, you talked about tax flow. You solved their major pain point and you brought back capital and freedom to their family by just making an introduction, an idea, right? Uh to to us or you know, or other people might have other ideas too. You bring it to them. Like tax flow is such a key thing that most people aren't talking about. They're always just talking about cash flow. But once you bring the two together, it's it's it that's where we say the transformation happens. And one of the things that I really like about it is if I sell something, let's say the $10 million, and I don't want to deploy all of that, uh, just the fact that, wow, I can give you half, deploy half, but now I have this almost like an annuity or this 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 cash flow that I don't have to. Well, this is another question. At some point, do I have to start withdrawing it? Or can I just set it there until I need it? But I just now know that when I want that cash flow and bump up my lifestyle, it's there, but half of it is half of it's in a new asset asset. Half of it now I'm I'm doing like this annuity type thing for some cash flow. Yeah, let's first talk about diversification. Let's talk about the payments and kind of the, some of the guardrails on that. Okay. So the neat part about the deferred sales trust is that assets can be invested into any asset of any kind. So it can be put back into um a business. It could be put back into hard money lending. It could be hotel development. It could be, you know, existing multifamily. It could be fixed and flip houses. It could be stocks, bonds, mutual funds. It could be T-bills, right? Um, it can sit in the bank for a while. Like there's not, there's not like a, a, a timing restriction as it, or a light kind replacement requirement. In other words, you can diversify, you keep liquidity, right? You can put in the biggest companies in the world, the Home Depots, the Walmarts, the Googles, the Apples. I'm not a big stock market guy, Mike, but some of my clients are. 
right? Um, now I do like some diversification, right? And there's time and place for all of that. And we bring in the financial planner to help you plan all that. But the point is each client has their own preference and we're typically do some kind of diverse diversification. Um, and let's just keep, keep it simple. Let's say 50%, we're going to go into real estate, Mike, 50% into the, the S and P 500. Great. And you're right. That S and P 500 is producing, you know, eight to 12% over every 10 year term, right? And that's playing. It's pretty much just bread and butter and it's paying you out. And the other, you know, 5 million, you're, you're swinging for the fences, right? You're looking for, you know, 10, 20, you know, percent type of returns. And you're either doing that with partners or doing it by yourself. Fantastic. You know, we can, we can structure it in that way. Some clients never want to see real estate ever again. Some clients don't ever want to put in the stock market. So we're just basically customizing the plan. Now we don't want to over-concentrate and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to, we want to make sure there's some liquidity, right? Enough liquidity, typically at least 20% to make sure that we can make the payments uh, to the, you know, to you um, as the note holder and, you know, pay for the tax returns, pay for the trustee fees and such. Now to answer your second question, as far as the payment itself, there's no like required minimum distribution like you'd see with IRAs, you know? But there is uh, you know, guidelines that the tax attorneys laid out to us um, over the years that typically like to see some payment out within the first 24 to 36 months, kind of that general frame. Some payment it doesn't have to be the full interest payment. So let's just say it's, you know, five million in the trust, and you like to see, you know, uh, a four to five percent, you know, payout starting in about year two or so. If it was an eight percent promissory note, so you don't have to take the full interest payments. But in those first two years, and this is a unique thing. You know, clients, um, we have a client um, and it's looking to exit. They're out of uh, New York and they're looking to move to Florida. Well, guess what? They sell the asset in New York. They defer all the tax into the trust. They establish a residency in Florida. And then they start payments a couple of years later. Well, guess where their income tax is based upon? Florida. Now, the cap gains tax is still the nexus in New York, right? So they still, if they dip into principal, but guess what? A lot of our clients aren't planning on dipping into principal anytime soon. They'll just live off the interest payments. Um, so that's the general rule of thumb there um, that we'd like to see because it's not tax avoidance. It's just tax deferral. We wouldn't want to create a scenario where we're just pushing it out and never paying tax. Now, on the trust level, people have questions. They go, well, what about the trust? The trust paying all this tax? Well, not necessarily, and most of the time, not. Um, first of all, we, we establish our trust in Nevada uh, for a number of reasons, but especially for tax reasons. But number two, um, um, the trust is able to expense on the trust tax return what it owes, even though if it hasn't paid it out to Mike. So let's say it's a $10 million promissory note. Mike sells a $10 million hotel. It owes him 800000 a year. Mike's like, hey, I don't need, need or want any money for two years. Great, Mike, we're just letting it accrue and it's just earning and building up. On the trust tax return, it's able to expense that eight hundred thousand dollars because it's it's uh it's it's on the accrual methods the way it's like a corporate tax return, even if it hasn't paid it out, it's a debt that's owed right that's accruing, and so typically the trust operates at a loss or a zero if you will, so no trust taxes. That's pretty elegant, pretty efficient. Mike, on the other hand, is super happy because he's tax deferred, income tax, capital gains tax, and he's hanging out. I mean, if you're a tech entrepreneur, this is great because not only can you sell your business, but then you can be, um, you can still work for that business. And a lot of them do is come, come, some kind of earn out, right? And in two or three years later, now they're fully out of the business. That's when they turn the trust income on. In the meantime, they still got their salary from the business they just sold with a new new company. And so these are all the little intricacies that we help structure plan. And like you said, kind of in the beginning, Mike, really partner with people to grow their wealth. Uh, it's fantastic. And, and it also sounds like, you know, I, when I've done some 1031s and, and I wanted to become a limited partner in something, 
there's some rules against me being like, no, you have to be a general partner. You have to be part of the ownership side. You can't just throw yourself into a limited side. It looks like with this trust that I don't have to be the principal. A hundred percent. Let me tell you about a couple of deals. So we worked out with David and Jordan and uh, David is an attorney and a multifamily syndicator. They have about 3000 units and David and Jordan, every time they would exit, we started with a $20 million asset in Las Vegas. They would, they're GPs and they pay back their LPs and they'd pay all their tax on their GP interest. And they would never, they never 1031 for a number of reasons, but they just kept paying the tax. So they call us and like, wait, Brett, so we can just move our GP interest in. Yes. Can our LPs move in too if they wanted to? Yeah, they could have their own trust if it's big enough. Well, they gone, they've gone on to do five exits with us. Uh, one, The last one was a $48 million deal in Vegas. They did a $16 million in Phoenix um, and a couple others. And the point was, not only did they defer the tax on their GP interest, but then they partnered with the trust to go into more GP interest on their next deal, all tax deferred without having to do some kind of 1031 gymnastics to carve it in there with a tenant in common and all this whole new structure. Plus they have a new depreciation schedule. So like it didn't really make sense for them to do a 1031 anyways. And so once you get that, you're like, wow, I'll never go back to Blockbuster. I'll just do Netflix. And um, yeah, that's, that's that's exactly right, Mike. It's really beneficial for you. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I mean, I appreciate you coming on and enlightening us about this. I mean, this I am now thinking completely different, you know, for my exit strategies. Yeah, can I give you one more too? Because at this point, yes, people absolutely. are like, like, it's just, it's well, this has got to be too good to be true, right? Like, yeah. I would have known about it. Let me just give you one story to help you maybe get some confidence in this, okay? Because it's one thing for me to say it, and I'm just a um, commercial broker, multifamily broker who fell in love with the 1031, who saw the damage that it can do, and then fell in love with the deferred sales trust to see all the freedom it can provide. I'm not a tax attorney or CPA, although I have studied and practiced um, with the CPA tax attorney who created it for 10,000 hours. But that being said, that's just me, okay? So I'm going to tell you a story about a gentleman named David Young. Now, David Young, uh, he he and a guy named Bill Gross, they built up a company called PIMCO with about five guys over 20 years. And PIMCO, for those in the commercial real estate world, it's one of the biggest, most respected financial money managers in the world for many, many years. Okay. So they built it from 80 billion to 1.2 trillion. These are some of the smartest guys in the world when it comes to those kind of things. Uh, now, um, you can imagine these guys get approached by a lot of people for a lot of tax strategies to put to their clients, right? And they just kind of say no to most things. Well, um, you know, uh, they all retire from PIMCO. David and five of the guys from PIMCO form a company called Anfield Capital. And over a about five, six years ago, they get approached with the deferred sales trust for the first time. And like most of us would say, oh, it's too good to be true. And they thought it was too. But David had an open mind and so did his team. And they had their legal team review it. And they did a two-year due diligence on the entire structure, talk with clients, talk with the tax attorney who created it, the entire thing. And they came through with two conclusions. Number one, the person who created it, that might be the smartest person we've ever met. Number two, we're all in. We'll put our name on this and we will manage capital for any DST client that wants us to be a part of the money management team. And so what I asked everyone who's on the, who's listening to this, any CPA, tax attorney, or anyone else, um, and, and David also say he's not a tax attorney, but he, he has his team look at everything. Um, you know, if it's good enough for David Young and his legal team after two years of due diligence, and he puts his name on it, is it good enough for me, Mike? and everyone else who's listening to this. And that's what gives me the type of confidence. I've seen that done over and over and over again with some of the smartest tax attorneys, CPAs, who at first are very skeptical and cautious as they should be. 
become what I call believers and start to send us referrals and do a lot of deals with us. And so, yeah, that's, that's just, and you can watch that entire interview that I have with David on my YouTube channel. Just go to capitalgainstaxsolutions.com and search uh, David Young. I have a bunch of content with David and that we talk about this in detail. And where else can people find you, Britt? Yeah, they can go to capitalgainstaxsolutions.com. I have a free ebook for any of Mike's listeners listening right now. It's Sell Your Crypto Business or Real Estate Smarter Using the DST. We also have a brand new book we just released uh, with Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank. It's called Building a Capital Gains Tax Exit Plan. And we 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 uh, we believe it's the proven playbook for unlocking your ideal wealth plan for yourself or your clients when exiting any asset of any kind. Here's the key. It's got to be a million-dollar net proceeds, million-dollar gain. So it helps you to qualify. It's got to be big enough, okay? That's per transaction, unless you have two at $500,000 each. Um, so go to capitalgainstaxsolution.com or go to Amazon and search Building a Capital Gains Tax Exit Plan. You can buy the book there. Brett, it's been enlightening. This has been just a pleasure. You know, a lot of the, the podcasts, you're kind of like going, yeah, you know, good information. But I think that a lot of people can, including myself, we're going to really look at uh, DSTs. I mean, I, I just can't believe it. Why didn't I do this 10 years ago? <laughs> you know, but thank you so much, Brett, for coming on the Richard Geek Podcast. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Richard Geek Podcast, where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. For today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show, and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichardgeek.com podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Share with others who could benefit from listening. And leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. I appreciate you, and thanks for listening.